listeners, and welcome back to In the Spotlight. My name is Emily Schaefer, and I am your host, here to bring you stories from the exciting new research being done by grad students and postdoctoral fellows in the sciences. This episode, we are going to be jumping into the world of medicine and biology, and more specifically in cancer biology. And as with much of the research that's being done in the medical field, there's a lot of very interesting tidbits to discuss, but there's also just an endless amount of questions that are still lingering. And it feels like the more you unpack, the more there is to discover. And I think the research that we'll be hearing about today is another great example of that. Joining us to share more about his work that he does in the field is George Lin. George is a postdoc at the Research Center for Molecular Medicine of the Austrian Academy of Sciences. Welcome, George. How are you today? Uh, Hi, Emily. I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for the invite. So I'll start with an easy question for you. What made you want to be a scientist? I mean, I think it all came from uh, actually a high school class, my high school biology class. Um, It was quite interesting to read about um, cells, all these different pathways, yet there's still a lot of things we don't know, even though we've studied, say, cells and biology for over 100 years, 150 years now. And um, I had a chance to do some summer research in the lab. And I really like the environment of both having, you know, a foundation of what we learn in school, but at the same time, trying to figure out, um, trying to figure out new aspects about what we may or may not know, even about simple things like ourselves and our cellular structure. Very cool. And you've kind of started to answer this already, but what drew you specifically to cellular biology? Like I said uh, earlier, it came from the that AP bio class that I took my junior year in high school. And actually, my first research experience was not in cancer biology. It was more, I would say, in the mechanical engineering field, where I was trying to develop devices that could study single cells at a time. I mean, granted, it was still in the cancer biology field. As uh, you may or may not know, cancer is not made of the same cell over and over again. There's a lot of differences even within a cancer. And I was trying to develop devices that could study each cell separately so that we could perhaps get a better idea of what cancers from different patients are like and also how does the cancer from one single patient, how does that differ? And that sort of transitioned into what I'm doing now, which is uh, focusing more on the biology rather than uh, developing novel devices to study the biology. Very cool. And that's a good segue to ask more about the research that you're doing today. What are you up to and what problems are you trying to solve? So a little background about what my lab does. So at our heart, we are a chemical biology lab. And by that, I mean, we try to discover and characterize new compounds that may affect cellular behavior or cellular identity. And one of the more recent uh, research directions in our lab is that is has a focus on cancer biology in that we found that one enzyme that's normally a metabolic enzyme actually goes to the nucleus and acts as a transcription factor or 
a factor that helps uh, read DNA and makes RNA, which is then used to make proteins in the cell. It's a relatively new research area. Uh, I'm pretty sure if you took biology back in high school or college, you've definitely um, read about or studied these different uh, metabolic pathways, you know, glycolysis or how cells make ATP, the energy source of the cell. And now we're beginning to find out that these enzymes or these proteins actually have multiple functions within the cell and they're not just, uh, they don't just have one function, which is to generate uh, different building blocks or energy for the cell. Okay, I think I'm starting to understand, but what is the link between acting as a transcription factor and actually connecting it to the cancer part? Right. Like I said, one of the main focuses of the lab is trying to discover novel compounds that could act as anti-cancer therapeutics. So in this case, what a previous lab member found out was that there are already existing drugs that target this, uh, these metabolic pathways, and actually they will act in synergy with uh, already existing cancer drugs that, aren't, uh, that don't target metabolic pathways. So it's nice to see that maybe you don't need such a high concentration of drug X, which is your normal chemotherapy drug, you could have a combination of drug X and Y, where Y is the drug targeting the, targeting the metabolic pathway. And these drugs are lower in dosage than if you give one drug separately. Um, and I think this is a quite powerful area in that there have been a lot of drugs that already target metabolic pathways since it is known that cancer cells have perhaps hyperactive or dysregulated metabolic pathways in order to fuel their rapid growth uh, in the body. So we do have sort of this rich resource of already existing drugs that we're trying to see if they, these drugs, uh, either one by themselves or in combination, could interact with other chemotherapy drugs that are also already on the market. So you're not actually discovering or creating any new drugs, you're basically trying to figure out the pathways so that you can make the current drugs work better. Is that right? Yes, uh, that's correct. Um, so, for example, our lab does have this uh, compound library of 90,000 different compounds, and a lot of them are already existing, or a good portion of them are already existing, or uh, even medically approved drugs, and now we're trying to find uh, what kind of synergies or combinations that may of these drugs that may work together. And again, like you said, looking more closely into the biology. So if we see that these two drugs work together, what's the exact uh, molecular mechanism or what's the exact pathway of how these drugs work? Great. A lot of us probably already know that when you test or, or try to figure out new drugs, you're looking at things at a cellular cellular level, you're looking at things at the animal level, and then you finally take it to people. So you're talking about drugs that are approved for people, but what level are you stepping back to study things now? Um, that's a good question. So right now, we have just finished our cellular models, so testing these drugs or these combination of drugs on cells on plastic, and we've begun to move into the animal models. So... One animal model we're looking at is the mouse model. And another animal model we've 
begun to look at is also a zebrafish model. So I would say a little less popular in cancer biology compared to the mouse model, but also nevertheless is another quite popular animal model. I feel like I've heard of mouse models all the time, but zebrafish is a new one for me. Why do you guys work with zebrafish of all things? So uh, one of the main reasons why we've started to study zebrafish or trying to, or thinking of using zebrafish is the metabolic pathway I'm working on. Oh, sorry, I forgot to uh, say this earlier, is the one carbon folate pathway. And actually this pathway is known to be important for d development, human development. And with the zebrafish model, we're actually able to observe how our drugs or how these combination of drugs also affect development since uh, these zebrafish grow from an egg to at least a juvenile in a much shorter time than a mouse model. And we're also able to use our microscope and visualize, uh, visualize these zebrafish, say every hour for a four or five day period, just to accurately track how do our drugs, how our drugs may affect uh, development in addition to a cancer setting. I see. That's really cool. I, I always forget that there are a lot of different animal models out there besides just like mice and rats and sometimes monkeys. It, it kind of depends on what questions you're trying to solve, right? Right. And I think, of course, there is no, there's no perfect model, um, but we try to think about what, what questions we're answering and if which model would fit best. And of course, we're not always just limited to one animal model. If the, if our research direction changes, we also have collaborators that work in a mouse setting, and we can also see if our drugs work in a mouse model. Very cool. And so that's a great point to bring up, that our animal models are never really perfect. So once this sorts of, of discoveries were to get to humans, I know you can't really predict at all how it, exactly it would work, but if these sorts of combination approaches were to work well, what would that mean for the way that we treat cancer in humans? Uh, so I think it would be, I think our the research direction I'm heading in is quite translational in the fact that we are looking at drugs that have been previously approved. So, I mean, I wouldn't say it's faster in that you would still need to uh, do trials to figure out what dosage regimen, you know, what uh, size of dose would be the best, especially when you're looking at combinatorial effects. But I do believe the research we're working on now is is quite translational due to the fact that we are studying or we're utilizing drugs that have been previous uh, previously researched, and there is already a good amount of data on these drugs. Yeah, that's a great point. There's so much out there about the drugs that we already have, but not in necessarily the ways that you're looking at them. So do you imagine using this combinatorial approach would affect efficacy? Would it affect safety? Would it affect the types of people that can benefit? I think, um, going back to what I said earlier, it could affect both efficacy and perhaps toxicity levels, uh, in that now you don't need such a high concentration of one drug, perhaps a chemotherapeutic, you can back down on the dose, add this other uh, metabolic drug, and perhaps uh, 
overall for the patient, they don't have to go through such a toxic regimen. And also one other thing is that, I mean, these metabolic drugs do um, are have been previously prescribed, so at least there is some perhaps guideline on what kind of dose you might want to look at first and how you might back down from that dose. So hopefully this would mean reducing things like side effects from chemotherapy, right? Some of those really aggressive things that come with treating cancer. Right, right, exactly. And our hope is also not not only reducing the side effects, but perhaps trying to target more aggressive, more uh, high, higher, faster growing cancers. That was going to be my next question. Does this work for a whole bunch of different cancers, or do you imagine that this is most applicable for certain types? I do think this is quite applicable to a lot of cancers. So I would say in this study that I keep mentioning, we have tried a panel of cell lines. So cells that were derived from different types of cancer. But um, it is important to note that uh, these cells have been derived from a cancer patient say 20 or 30 years ago and they've been living on plastic for the last 30 years so there could have been some genetic changes or some sort of adaptations that may make them perhaps more susceptible or even less susceptible to our drug combination Um, so that is definitely one aspect to think about but one of the reasons why i'm hopeful is that these uh the metabolic pathways they're universal for every cell. Every cell needs different metabolites or to generate building blocks to both divide, to divide. And I would say, especially in a cancer setting with these fast-growing cells, these uh, metabolic enzyme uh, metabolic pathways are quite important and again are sort of universally expressed. I think that leans well into the next question I wanted to ask. I feel like with drugs, and especially cancer drugs, we hear all the time that one of the big concerns is how you need these really aggressive drugs to target the cancer cells, but then you have all these crazy side effects. So if with metabolic pathways being this very universal thing that all cells have to participate in, how do you make sure that this is a targeted approach? That's a really good question. And I think uh, I would say a lot of other groups are not... um, are working on this problem you know, with different lipids or drug delivery de- uh, devices or formulations. I would say currently my research does not, uh, unfortunately does not help target uh, our drug or drug combination to a specific location. It is encouraging to see that uh, at least the metabolic drug we focused on, so methotrexate, which is the drug targeting the folate pathway, has been used to for arthritis applications, actually, so not even cancer applications. But uh, to answer your question succinctly, it it is quite a tough question, and unfortunately, we we have not gotten to the our the stage yet where we can target our drug combination or what we characterize as our drug combination to specifically the cancer cells. And I imagine that's where a lot of collaboration would come into play too, right? People forget that collaboration is so important in scientific research. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, even for a project like what we're doing 
or all these steps I've described. Uh, I, I work with different groups, for example, for the animal models, or when we uh, look or do, I think, more modern techniques, such as uh, using CRISPR or CRISPR screens to figure out what genes or what proteins mediate our drug uh, interaction. I mean, these are all in collaboration with different groups. Uh, fortunately, I, you know, I'm not skilled enough to know all these techniques by hand, uh, by myself. And it's, it's one of the uh, nice, I would say nice things or positive things about working in academia. You know, you, have, you work with other people and you try to figure out how to explain your research so that they understand and how, how you figure out how their expertise can work with your expertise uh, together and maybe solve this uh, this problem that you cannot solve by yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully it also, these means of collaboration might speed up the timeline too, because I know that's such a common complaint among people who aren't in the sciences. It's like, yeah, this is a really interesting topic, but is it really going to be something that I'm going to personally see anytime soon? How would you answer a question like that? I think that, I mean, it brings up a good point, um, especially in light of uh I mean, recent events where, when we talk about, say, the corona, coronavirus vaccine and how fast it's been brought to market uh, from you know, the first genetic sequences of the coronavirus to now we're already rolling out the vaccine. Um, unfortunately, it's always important to think of you know, safety first and to, especially for uh, drugs like these targeting cancer, it's we can't rush any step, um, and while it does take a long time, I would say you would need a long-term memory for it, these uh, for these drugs to come to market. But it's always important for us, at least, to figure out you know what is the safest safest dose or safest drugs we should bring to the market. Absolutely, that makes sense. Okay. George, as we've already kind of alluded to, cancer is such a big, broad field, and and you're talking about working with a lot of the drugs that we already know and love, but is this approach, do you think, is, is it one of the best ways to go about things? How do you think it compares to all of the other ways that cancer is being researched right now? I mean, while I think it is quite a powerful method, because uh, we're looking at drugs, again, we're looking at drugs that have been approved or uh, are taken by other people. It's, of course, important to note that uh, when we talk about cancer, it's, and especially when I focus further on cancer metabolism, this is only a small part of the picture. Granted, uh, for example, you have to look at what other cells, perhaps around the tumor, that may affect its growth. Um, How does cancer spread? Of course, metastasis is another big subject or a big field of research. So how do how does cancer spread? Um, so I do want to emphasize that even though we we are trying to treat cancer with drugs that are available, it is uh, I would say a small aspect of cancer biology. There are hundreds of other facets of cancer. How how does it grow? How does it spread? How does it differ from your normal cells? How does it even begin? Uh, questions like that. Um, are, I would say, equally as important. 
That's a great point. And again, just underscores collaboration is key. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay, George, to start to wrap things up, if someone were to listen to this podcast and understand one thing about your work, what would you want to spotlight? I would have to spotlight the fact that even though we think we may know a lot about, say, ourselves and our and the biology within ourselves, there's always there's always something new to be uh, discovered. Um, for example, we've we've known about these metabolic pathways, like I said, for for decades now, but now we're finding out that you know it's it's more complicated than that. It's these proteins within these pathways don't have one job. Each each protein may have multiple jobs, and you we haven't really figured out the complete picture of what these pathways or even what certain proteins may be doing within our cells. Great answer. And if people listening are interested in hearing more about your work, is there a way that they can learn more or maybe contact you? Yeah, of course. So our my institute's website is semcemm.at, and I work in the lab of Stefan Kubrischer. So you can find my contact information there as well as information about our lab and our institute as a whole. Awesome. Thank you so much again, George, for joining me today. It really was a pleasure to get to hear more about this work. Thanks again for the invite. And thank you to everyone who is listening. I really hope that you've been enjoying the podcast so far and that you continue to tune in. If you want to connect with us on social media, you can find this podcast on Twitter at SpotlightThePod. And this podcast was brought to you by Northwestern University's Science Policy Outreach Task Force, or SPOT. And you can learn more about SPOT at our website, spot.northwestern.edu, or on Twitter at SPOTForceNU. Thank you so much again for listening, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you've been listening to this podcast. (music) 